Good afternoon and welcome to the How to Train Your Wagon podcast, the podcast that takes three generations of travelers around the world. Today's destination is Paris, the city of lights. And in this episode... The thing people usually don't realize is how small the city actually is in terms of distances. When I moved to Paris myself at 18, that was one of the first things that amazed me. Yes, there are a tremendous number of great things to see, but you don't have to spend a full day in each place. But if you want to see them all, it's pretty easy because we have lived within worlds for hundreds of years. Today I'm joined by our guest, Bertrand Dolomont of My Private Paris. His website is myprivateparis.com and he can be reached at contact at myprivateparis.com. First, a very warm welcome to Bertrand. Thank you for joining us today. Bonjour, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Why would a family of three generation travelers consider Paris for a vacation? I would say that Paris is always a good idea, but that's not uh, me inventing this. The thing is, with the history we have in Paris and the uh, level of art and architecture, uh, there's something that can resonate for all generations. They can be like a movie set for the kids. It can be inspiring for the parents, bringing memories from years before for the grandparents who usually have been here already. And combining all of this, I think it's true that Paris is always a good idea. Absolutely. Okay. I I think certainly in in one sense, Paris can be both a a large city, but I think from a tourist perspective, it can be a very intimate city. I I think we were preparing for the call today and you you offered up how how really close and connected the, the places where tourists would be in Paris. So I think the first question in our audience's mind would be, when we go to Paris, where would you have us stay in? It's a question that we get quite often and it's a a bit of a tricky question i would say because it really depends of the the mood you're looking for definitely if you are looking for beautiful landmarks beautiful avenues i would go to the west of paris Uh, the city is conveniently divided into 20 districts with numbers so it's easy for us to get a an idea for where we are. So if you, that's really what you want, is the grand beautiful city, I would say to go to the seventh or the eighth district, which is close to the Eiffel Tower and the Arch of. If you're looking on the contrary for a city that's a little bit more intimate or even more historical, then you go more to the center of the city. And I will suggest two neighborhoods. One is called Saint-Germain, Saint-Germain in, in French, which is the sixth district. There you will find a lot of boutique hotels in old building from the 16 or 1700s. So don't expect to find very large rooms and the same comfort, but you will find a sense of history. And then on the other side of the river, there is a district, we call it Le Marais, which is the third and the fourth district. And, and out there, you will find a mix of historical buildings from the late 1500s, 1600s, pedestrian streets, and the trendiest shops and restaurants. So if you want to be in an old building with a young crowd in the street, that will be the Marais. Okay. And, and as you alluded to, each of those uh, districts is, has, is naturally close to certain amenities, right? So I think for the 7th and 8th and the west side of town, as you pointed out, you're near some of the grander attractions in Paris. Yes. The, the city of Paris is, is that big. You're, you're never more than two, three miles away from all the big attractions. Okay. Paris is such a popular destination. I, I think there's huge numbers of airports in, in the United States that have direct flights to, to Paris, which is great from a convenience perspective. I think the question we often struggle with is we, we typically take off 
late afternoon in the United States. We fly overnight. We get there sometime in the morning. And so I call this question the, the sea legs day. After we land, we get settled in a hotel. What would you have us do as we get our sea legs, as we, we may or may not deal with jet lag? What are some of the easy attractions as we're, we're getting our sensibilities about? That's a, a very good question. And actually, we've developed a tour just for that because it's true, most of the flight will land around 8, uh, 7.30, 8, 9 a.m. And so what we usually do is we, we pick up our guests at the airport because you you never sleep so well in a plane, to be honest. We go to the hotel. Usually the room will be available by 3 or, or 4 p.m. So we drop the luggage and then we do a short walking tour of the surrounding of the hotel. Because in Paris, we don't have a business district, a shopping district, a, his, a museum district, etc. You find that all of that anywhere you are in the city. So for a couple of hours, we walk people around their new neighborhood, whether it's for weekends or, or for the week. But so you get a sense of what there is around, where are the good bakeries, if three in the afternoon or nine in the morning and you really want a croissant, where to go, where are the parks, what, what are the public transportation nearby, etc. Because I, I, when I travel myself, what I... I really don't like is when I feel isolated in my hotel or the resort or whatever. And so just by doing this, you feel you're part of the neighborhood for the uh, the time of your stay. Great. That sounds, again, I know from our perspective, we always enjoy being able to explore that immediate neighborhood at, at different rates. Some of us might be sleeping or taking a short nap and, and others might be raring to go. So that certainly makes a very attractive plan for us. So then, then let's say we've had our, our first good night of sleep. What are some of the breakfast options on places you'd have us stay uh, would be a good Parisian breakfast or at least some of the opportunities we'd have around? So it, it depends. I would say as a Parisian myself, usually we've been up late. So usually we wake up just enough, uh, just a few minutes before our morning appointment. So traditionally what you, what you do as a Parisian is you have your breakfast outside of home in the closest cafe to your appointments. And you enter, you order coffee at the bar, you just pick a, usually there's a basket with a croissant or chocolate croissant. You complain a little bit about whatever you want with the, with the waiter, because that's a way to say hello. And, and that's a true Parisian on a, for a weekday mm-hmm. breakfast. On the weekends, we are getting more and more, let's say we're growing an appetite for brunch. So you will find a lot of places that offer brunch, but that will be for, for a weekend. Otherwise, it's definitely the black coffee, croissant, mm-hmm. maybe orange juice, if you want to uh, last till the, the lunch. And, and I'll ask this question. I think it's implicit in your answer. But if you were to describe Paris as a, a coffee or tea destination, I think you're telling me that Paris is, should be considered a, a, a coffee destination? To be honest, we are. I would not say that you will have the best coffees of your life in Paris. Is we, we have espresso, it's a shot, you, you taste it a little bit, but it's more for the for the stamina that it gives you. But definitely Paris is a city where at any time of the day, or you call your friend and you say, do you want to go grab some coffee? Uh, by the one thing though, is we'd start to do it a little bit, but honestly, it's not a very Parisian or French thing to take a coffee to go. It's really, you stop, you have your coffee, and then you leave the place. But coffee over tea that's for sure okay i encourage our audience to check out your website myprivateparis.com because i think you really present a couple different lenses that organize tours around a different criteria and so sometimes 
our, our typical question we ask is, what do we do on our first full day? I think in this case, you can organize it by, by theme as, as well as big attractions as well. So I'll return to our, our, our question, which is, what would you commend to our audience on their first full day in Paris after a night's sleep? The, just to clarify a point, we really specialize in custom tours. So we, we do have some ready-to-book tours on our website, but really I think where we make a difference is into really listening and taking caring about what people want to do, how much time they have, etc. So we would design a different first day for everyone. But what I would suggest really, if it's your first full day, is to go to the center of the city, which has the shape of, it's like a circle. So going very to the center of it, where is Notre Dame Cathedral. And from there, you start to radiate uh, around, going on both sides of the river and adding one museum. I would not do two museums on your first day because I would give more time to exploring the city. Don't plan too many things. Stay in the city. We have beautiful day trips or half day trips from Paris that are pretty pretty nice. But on your first full day, I would say spend at least half the day walking mm -hmm. in the center of Paris. And then from there, you will start to get a sense for the, uh, the beauty of the, the atmosphere of the city. And also the fact that you're walking from a century to the next just by turning left and right. Okay. Right. And of course, some of those museums would be the Louvre. Certainly, I think there's the Impressionist Museum, a number of other museums yes. organized around um, different themes. And then certainly one question our audience might ask after the tragic fire is the state of the Notre Dame today. I presume the interior is under renovation, but they can still admire the historic facade and outside of Notre Dame. That's correct. That's that's correct. And we have to say a massive thank you to the firefighters of, of Paris who have saved the building, actually saved the building from the flames. The roof and is gone, but the stones are uh, still here, still standing very proudly. And when if you just walk around, you still see this magnificent architecture, Middle Ages. The, there are cranes, there are a couple of cranes because we are rebuilding the roofs. It starts with the carpentry and then it will be covered with lead again. And it's going to be a little bit longer than we originally planned because on the day it burned, the president said it would take five years, but then the experts started to take a, a deeper look at it. It's, it's still beautiful to walk around Notre Dame. We're so sad we can't go inside, obviously. It's, it's like a love story. You, we will find each other uh, once again. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm sure that there are podcasts that are simply devoted to Parisian cuisine. Really, it's a sub mm -hmm. subject for itself, but certainly Paris and, and the French are, are famous for, for restaurants and, and their cuisine. Uh, what are some of the options you would you would have us consider for, for dinner after we've worked up a, a good appetite on our first full day in Paris? It's it's a tough question, this one, because the offer is so large. It goes from what in French we call a boui boui, boui boui, so it's a cheap place where you very casual, mm -hmm. to three, star, three stars at the Michelin Guide. So what I would recommend is to do a bit of research to see what Parisian eats while you're there. Because we do have specialties that are very seasonal, like the cheese fondue is really a winter thing. And so that's something I would pay uh, attention to. 
Now, is your question, are you asking me for different names or addresses to go or type of food? It's an open-ended question. So if, if you might suggest three names of restaurants you would consider, especially I'd say for a three-generation audience, the younger audience can be, n- number one, from a price perspective, a Michelin three-star may not be the best option. So maybe something that would work well from a, a family perspective, both in terms of style of cuisine, as well as mm-hmm. three particular names that are in the vicinity of some of the districts you talked about? So I would pick three places. The first one is very close to Notre Dame Cathedral. It's a southwestern cuisine, which is very family friendly. There's no too many spices or chic stuff eating. And it is called Beau Repère. It's on the street of the Boucherie. It's really, you are in a, you turn left and you are at Notre Dame Cathedral. That's a place I like very much. Now, we know also that with it's usually important that the service is not too long. And although in France, we're used to having very long lunches or long dinners, I understand that after a full day walking, you want something that goes a little bit faster. Our, our own version of fast food, I would say, are crepes. And the best place to go for crepes will be Braise Café. You have actually two of them, one on the left bank of Paris, in, which is near the Odeon Metro stop. And the other one, the, the first one is in Le Marais, in front of the Picasso Museum. And it's great because it's, it's nice for the wallet. It's, and it's fast and it's amazingly good. And then if you want to treat yourself uh, a little bit more, we, we have some great restaurants with a view. And there is one on top of the Pompidou Center, which is the modern art museum of Paris. Mm-hmm. And it's called because the views from up there are stunning. The cuisine is great. You are in the, the heart of Paris and it feels like you're flying above the city with a fantastic dish on your table. Okay. You know, I seem to recall when I was there some time back that Alsatian cuisine, uh, some of the brasserie were, were also really attractive from a family perspective and, yes. again, really had broad appeal to, to families as well. Yes, it, is the origin, it means a brewery, so a place where you brew beer, but it's uh, no longer the case. A brasserie is where you will find, uh, it's usually very large restaurants, so the menu can be pretty big because the, the kitchen is pretty big. So you, you will find many options. By Brasserie, it would be, there's a great one called Chez Jenny, which is by the Republic Square, which is one of the, well, you'll find the, the true old-fashioned Parisian atmosphere, and that is really a, a nice option. Otherwise, uh, we have a, a more budget-friendly, Brasserie is not through the roof, but a more budget-friendly style of Brasserie, we call it a bouillon. B-O-U-I-L-L-O, and you will find quite a few around Paris in most districts, and there it's really dishes of the day, and it's usually dishes you cook in very large parts, mm-hmm. so you it's not cooked at the minute, and it's, it's what we call a Parisian canteen. Just so many options. I think people need to stay for more than a week just to be able to... And I've been talking only about French food, but we, we do have very great uh, exotic food also in Paris, or non-French. Of course. You know, you, you said something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is it's important to really only spend half a day at the museum for three-generation parties. I've just been to too many places where you hit museum fatigue at some point, and you're really ready for that break from 
you're walking through some world-class galleries. So what, what you speak to in terms of getting out and about and seeing the town resonates with me. But maybe can you speak to some of the other half-day attractions you would commend to us after we've had our first full day in Paris and, and seeing some of the larger attractions? Yes, of course. If we talk about a half-day, there's... A- the beautiful royal palace and estate at Versailles, which by car it takes about 30, 40 minutes, an hour, 10 minutes by train. Train and walking. The train is, is shorter, but you need to walk to the station, from station to the chateau. And this is really, I mean, you have to see Versailles, especially now, because after decades of renovation, uh, we can finally see a Versailles without scaffoldings, with gilded railing all over the place. The gardens that were completely destroyed in 1999 by a big storm have been replanted and the trees have finally grown enough for us to really feel like we are attending a royal party in the, in the old shiny style of King Louis XIV. So Versailles is definitely great for a half day. It can really easily become a full day tour or trip to Versailles because we have actually three palaces. The estate is very large, we're close to 2,000 acres. And once you've taken the ride to go to Versailles, why not spending the whole day? Another beautiful half-day trip that can become a full day is the house and gardens of the Impressionist painter Claude Monet in Giverny. That is an hour 10, an hour 20 minute drive uh, from Paris. You can also take a train and then a bus to get there. And the house and the gardens are not huge. It's not the one of a king. It's the one of a painter who's trying to make a living. But the village itself of Giverny is beautiful. And you are just uh, on the edge between the region of Normandy and the region of uh, Paris. And on the way, there are lots of beautiful medieval villages to stop by if you go by car. So that also makes it a very nice half day that can become a full-day excursion. Paris has been the capital of France for so many centuries. We've had a lot of kings, which means a lot of money, so we'll have a lot of chateaus around. Uh, You can take day trips, two-day, three-day trips to go uh, further uh, south to the Loire Valley chateaus, which uh, are really a must-see. But if you don't want to go for too long, there are also beautiful chateaux like Fontainebleau, Volvicomte, Chantilly, which can easily be a half or a full day uh, excursion. If you're not into chateaux, uh, you can travel a little bit more uh, west to visit the region of Normandy with beautiful uh, medieval town like Rouen or Fisherman Harbor, Honfleur or Trouville. You can even push more west to the site of the D-Day, the um, Allied landing of 1944. That will take a full day, at least. And one thing that people don't really consider is that we do have very high-speed train in, in France. And that's not a, a marketing name. We go, you know, this train takes go 220 miles per hour. So you can easily go for the day to cities like Lille or Strasbourg, even Bordeaux, uh, which is not wine only. It is a beautiful UNESCO heritage city in it's just two hours by train, two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening, and you've been to a whole different side of France. Yeah. Right. The, uh, the TGV, the, the train of Grand Vitesse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. I can't say enough good things about the travel experience on the TGV. Yeah. The, the trains, they were very well. We have first-class tickets and second-class. I'd say the only difference between first and second-class is, is how large is the seat. Otherwise, it goes at the same speed. So you don't necessarily have to buy the, the first-class. Uh, first 
Okay. As we're getting our arms around supporting the different needs of people with different speed engines, people might operate, the grandparents might prefer one speed, the, the younger children mm-hmm. might prefer different So what are some of the attractions that are perhaps best suited for those with the fast engines or, or some of the younger audiences? I'd like to answer by thinking of the slower engines, because that's something important. And most people don't know about that, mm-hmm. is that all museums offer wheelchairs for anyone who needs it. So usually when we have three generation, there's an older generation. And even if you don't have a wheelchair at home or you don't have walking difficulties, etc., it's not the same when you do a little bit of tiptoeing as you do in a museum. So we always try, you know, very politely to suggest that you don't have to sit in the wheelchair for the whole time, but consider using it because... In most of the time, you won't find benches, etc., in, in the museums. So really, they're here for, the, for that. There's many of them. You're not taking a wheelchair from someone who really needs it. They will be enough for everybody. And if I uh, can add a little extra reason to do, usually that will allow you to go closer to world-class paintings like the Mona Lisa. Okay. So if you do have uh, some people walk faster, some slower in the same party, Take a, a wheelchair, an optional uh, wheelchair. That would be uh, that would be great. Thank you. That's sage advice. Okay. I think you spoke to maybe how we we can best support the the older generation. Um, for for the younger audiences, let's say uh, children that could range in anywhere from age ten to to twenty two. Do you have any aspects or, or destinations that would be highlights for this particular demographic? I would say destination that can combine indoors and outdoors. In, in terms of museum, the, the Louvre has beautiful uh, garden called the Tuileries, where the art continues because it's filled with beautiful uh, sculptures. And you uh, look at the architecture, which is a gem at the Louvre. Versailles also offers this. To, it has uh, many groves that you're going in a maze and from one to the next, a completely different atmosphere. Uh, 500 marble statues, hundreds of fountains. So I would say if you can combine outdoors and, indo- and indoors, that will be the, the, I would say that will be the best option. Or combining a museum, if it's not, the outdoor is not directly there, to transform a museum into something of a, a larger theme. For instance, the Musée d'Orsay, the Impressionist um, uh, Museum, we usually uh, recommend to combine this with exploring the hill of Montmartre, which is in the north of Paris. And this is where most of these young and starving artists at the time were living. So when you see the neighborhood they lived in and they painted, plus the paintings, it resonates much better. So it's good for for making a bit of sport for the younger generation, but it's also great to picture the life of the painter and what they painted and not just stick into the museum. You've certainly painted a huge spectrum of, of what Paris is and both in terms of Paris itself as well as excursions from Paris and, and really how ex- easy those excursions can be with, with some of the advanced mm-hmm. rail options. One of the questions I might ask is Paris has and is, is famous for its most prominent attractions, right? The Louvre, the Eiffel Tower, Champs-Élysées, the list goes on. What's maybe one attraction you would recommend that might not make the the most famous list of Parisian attractions, but is that you find is still really worthwhile? It's to visit my neighborhood, of course. The joke aside, why I'm saying this is I live in the 19th district 
and it's never in the guidebooks which means you will be really off the beaten path. And yet it's one of the nicest neighborhood to live in nowadays as a young Parisian. I'm a father of one, soon father of two. We have beautiful parks. We have in this neighborhood, there are no museums. So that's why it's off the, off the map in, in the guidebooks. But it's full of small streets, young crowds. You will see a ton of French kids uh, playing around. There is a beautiful garden called the Butte Chaumont, which has a, a little lake where you will find ducks, geese, big catfishes. You can, there are also uh, two cafes and restaurants uh, there. And you walk just a little bit more and you get to the Paris Canal that take you all the way to Northern Europe. And out there, it's the uh, the hip scene where you will find actual breweries this time, the brasserie where they actually craft beer, but also rent little electric boats for three to 10 people uh, at a time. There's the science museum. There's a lot of green spaces, plenty of cool venues that have been uh, built in the former slaughterhouses of Paris. Mm -hmm. So obviously in old fashioned books, they're not telling you to go to where the slaughterhouse is, etc. But I can tell you uh, where the neighborhood has changed very much. Okay. That's a perfect segue to our next question. In your opinion, what's the best way to get to know a local in Paris? Is to speak a little bit of French when you get started. Most people in Paris, they don't have time because they left late for their uh, appointment. So if you speak in English straight, people would just ignore you. Uh, well, if you say parlez-vous anglais with a funny uh, English or American or Australian accent, then people will see, okay, you're making an effort, so I'll make an effort for you. And from there, the conversation continues. Tremendous. That's certainly one of the biggest pieces of feedback when people, we interface with people and they, they rave about the opportunity to interact with locals. So another question, perhaps of all places, in your opinion, what is the best way to appreciate Paris at night? What is the best way to appreciate Paris? At night only. Oh, the best way to appreciate Paris at night only for me is to walk by the river. First of all, because you can't get lost. <laughs> You're following the river. There's no difficulty there. Uh, second, because you can walk at the river level or at the road level. Third, because you will see the city lit up. And it's extremely beautiful, extremely uh, romantic. And there is, you can walk till the end of the city or not. It doesn't matter. That's most definitely the best way to enjoy Paris at night. I'm sure if you ask 10 different people about Paris, they'd have 10 different opinions on what Paris is, what they enjoy. And I don't know that we're necessarily going to solve that or anyways, if it's even possible to answer that. But what I would maybe like to do is, especially for Paris, and I've, I've been there a few times, is it can be so large and so overwhelming. The question is, what do we do that makes things work for three-generation travel parties, right? For grandparents, for parents, for kids. What can we do to carve out intimate experiences at time rather than simply being an overwhelming city? For example, New York can be, can be overwhelming at times. It's true, and at the same time, I would say it's true until you go to Paris for the first time. Because when you start planning your, your trip and you look around, there are so many names you've heard before, the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre, the Musée d'Orsay. Mm -hmm. So you think, okay, which is the most important one? And the, the thing people usually don't realize is how small the city actually is in terms of distances. And you walk two minutes and you are into the next. And you don't have to drive for hours. You don't have to walk for hours, etc. So that's one thing that I find I've been a guide for 12 years now. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Paris myself at 18, that was one of the first things that amazed me 
is how close all these things I, I saw in all my history books, my art books, etc. They were just by the corner one from another. So that's an important thing is, yes, there are a tremendous number of great things to see, but you don't have to spend a full day in each place. But if you want to see them all, it's pretty easy because we have lived within worlds for hundreds of years. So distances are, are short. Mm-hmm. The other thing also that I would say is when you, especially when you plan a three-generation party, is to not hesitate that for some of the activities you do to split the group. For instance, we've had a, a family, they were 11 at the end of July. They were the grandparents, their two kids, plus the, the wife and the husband, plus six teenagers. And when we visited the Louvre or the Musée d'Orsay, which are really must-see museums, well, we did a tour for the adult and a tour for the kids. Because obviously the attention span is not the same, the interest is not the same. The kids, they, they study in school, so they, there are some things that are fresh in their mind. The parents, they've lived their life, so there are things from an artistic point of view that will be more interesting for them. So we find that, especially for large parties, it's the best is obviously if you can afford to have two guys instead of one, but it's to split and make two tours. Okay. When we have just the one family, the parents and the two kids or three kids, it's a little bit different because we really, as guides, we focus our tour on the kids and the parents as a ricochet. But if you have six adults and six kids, then it's all different. Okay. We're reaching our last questions. In your opinion, the best way to get around walking, taxi, uh, Uber, uh, any advice walking. walking? Definitely walking. Paris is becoming more and more difficult for cars. That's a uh, constant with the different mayors we've had the last couple of mayors. So the speed limit has been reduced to under 20 miles per hour in the entire city. Most car lanes have become bike lanes or just for bus. And, and usually people stay within the first 10, 11 districts. So walking is very easy. We have Uber and taxis. It's the same app. So that's easy for Uber. They have made a partnership with the taxis, so they're not at war anymore. Sometimes you, you book a Uber and there's a taxi car that shows up. Uh, that's normal. Uh, but the <laughs> actually, you most of the time, you'll go faster on your feet than in a car. Okay. All right. Call the question my wife loves to ask is, what is the best representative souvenir to bring back from Paris? Ah, it depends. Do you want to eat it when you're back or do you want to keep it for years? It's... That's the, I would say a watercolor paint, and you find uh, them by the riverside uh, at the green boxes where they sell old books called the Bookinist. You would, it's not very easy nor very difficult to find that, but I think that would be a great souvenir that you do not eat. Okay. I certainly appreciate the watercolor paintings I've acquired overseas. That's excellent answer that question from my perspective. So one question uh, my mother-in-law likes to ask is, what are the the do's and the don'ts of Paris? Uh, What are three things you would insist we do and three things you would caution against in Paris? Only three. So thing you absolutely have to do in Paris. That's a tough one. Three things you... That means you exclude all the rest. Obviously, you you have to try a crepe. Mm -hmm. I would say... That's for sure. Even though 
Crepes is not a Parisian specialty. It's a type of cuisine that's coming from French Brittany, but we have amazing crepes in Paris. And I will pair that with trying that. I know it sounds a little bit cliche, mm -hmm. but honestly, you will find the best baguettes in France. You will find them in Paris. So that's really something to try. Second, I would say, is to walk the line from the Louvre to the Champs-Élysées. It's a straight axis. It's the most famous stroll in Paris. So you won't be the only one doing that. Mm -hmm. But if it's the most famous and has been the most famous for decades, it's for a reason. I think you would miss understanding one aspect of Paris, which is how grandiose it is, if you don't walk on that line from the Louvre to the Champs-Élysées. You don't have to walk the, the entire Champs-Élysées up, but just uh, to the beginning of the so that would be one thing to do. And then uh, I would say the third thing you have to do is to, is, is what I said a little bit before, is to combine the visit of a museum with something that shows you the context of it. So either the Musée d'Orsay and the district of Montmartre, I would say, or the, the Louvre and uh, uh, Versailles, sorry, or Versailles, mm -hmm. the Chateau of Versailles, and the neighborhood of Le Marais, which will show you how people lived actually in these buildings when the king was living in his golden palace. So that will be my three do's. Three things don't do is only three. <laughs> uh, three things you should not do here. First is don't expect everyone to speak English. The vast majority of people, especially if we want to go abroad, we, we need to speak English and we study English at school, but don't expect that they will speak English from scratch. Always, you try first a couple words in French and just we will hear that you're not a French native speaker and people will switch. Otherwise, it feels it's pretty rude. Another thing that people don't really realize is that we are rude and extremely polite at the same time. Okay, so whenever you enter a shop, a cafe, uh, etc., you always introduce yourself. You don't give your full name, your address, etc. You enter a place, you say bonjour. Even if you, you say bonjour, hello to the world. But if you don't, people will notice that you didn't. And if you ask a question, they might uh, say a, a passive aggressive bonjour to your face to tell you you didn't say so. And then the last thing, because that's something I've learned over the years, don't wait for the bill to be brought to your table. It would be rude in France to bring the bill if, the, if you haven't asked for it, because we would take it as a pay and go out. So don't expect the bill to be given to you. Uh, don't wait for it. Ask for it. Okay. Excellent. All the things you've offered up very much resonate with me. So thank you for your perspective. You're welcome. Thank you. yes, surely I just wanted to allow you to share your final thoughts, at least use this opportunity to talk about my private Paris and, and your view of offering our private and customized tours in Paris. Again, we're a big believer in, in, in private tours in different destinations because we really get the interaction with the local. They allow us to see so much more. So Bertrand of myprivateparis.com. I would like to say that we were extremely happy to be back on our feet and working again because for everyone all around the world, whether you're in the travel industry or not, it's been a, a tough last 18 months at the least. And I would say visiting a very popular city, here it's known that there are a lot of people visiting Paris, but I would say visiting Paris soon would be a great idea because pretty soon we will have big crowds coming up again. 
and it I can tell you it takes a bit of time before group tours are organized so come and visit us before that happens you will see a beautiful city with people happy to see you without the hassle of having lots of groups uh, all over the place and our guest is Bertrand Bellamont of myprivateparis.com you can reach him at contacts at a contact at myprivateparis.com we'll also include a link to his uh, website in our show notes Again, please check out his website. He has a variety of different ways he can organize tours, and he has organized tours for your consideration. Again, Bertrand, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Hey, listeners. If you like our podcast and enjoying traveling with your family, then this is the right podcast for you. Please show your support by clicking subscribe in however you listen to this podcast, whether it be an Apple podcast, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Please enjoy our newest episodes. We thank you and appreciate your continued support.